Amen. You may be seated. If I've not met you yet, yet, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. This is my wife, Tammy. She's helping me out on this little series. I think she's kind of glad this is the last one. Uh, but uh, we are just really delighted to have you here. I just want to remind you of a couple things. Number one, this is the last week uh, before construction really begins to take over. So next week, when you come in, those bathrooms will not be usable. Um, we'll have some bathrooms out front. We'll also have this kind of, we got some bathrooms back here. And so we'll give you a chance to, to be able to use those and, and be a part of that. Also, all of the, our children's area that's down here is going to be over here. And so it'll be a fun weekend. Uh, also having baptism. Uh, you know, it's cool out, right? We thought, oh, we'll do it back outside. And then we looked ahead and now we'll be in here uh, because it's going to be hot again next weekend. So... Uh, welcome to Phoenix. Secondly, uh, if you have not subscribed to the new podcast that we launched at the beginning of the month, really encourage you to do that. Uh, it's called Resident Strangers. It's about uh, Christian thinking in a foreign world. How do we live this out? So it's kind of on theology. Uh, and so we really encourage you to do that. You can get that at Spotify, Apple, Android. You can also go to our website, but if you go to our website, it doesn't affect any of the analytics that pushes it out farther. So we appreciate you actually doing that. And uh, um, but maybe doing it through one of the services because that does help us. So next weekend's baptism. The weekend after that's Labor Day. We're going to have communion. We're also going to hear a report uh, from our team that went to Japan. Scott's doing some really incredible things there. But then that second weekend of September, we get back to really what we do. Uh, we do expository Bible preaching. That's kind of just who we are as a church. That's what God really... Uh, called me to do and right now we are in the book of revelation so this spring we dealt with the first three chapters we're starting with chapter four uh looking at the things that are still to come we're going to talk uh the, you know this fall about the rapture what is that what does that mean when's that going to happen uh you have that detailed description of of, of god in his glory in chapter four and chapter five you have the seven seal book so all of that so make sure you join us the beginning of the end how god's going to wrap all this up but as i mentioned we've been in this three week love respect hope today we're talking about hope would highly recommend a book to you in fact uh, we're indebted for a lot of the ideas that we're sharing uh, one of tammy's favorite books she read it years ago she talked about it all the time finally two or three years ago i decided i better read this book it's not one of my favorites it's a great book it's called the hope quotient by ray johnston uh, we actually had a connect group that did it uh, it was harder to get the book it was almost like it went out of print so i went and checked it is on Amazon. You can get it as a Kindle right now. They're actually offering it as a free audiobook. So if you like audiobooks and you like free, a great book, highly recommend it. But hope. Now, what do we mean by hope? Is, is hope just simply wishful thinking? Uh, kind of, I, I think, I think, I think. That's not how we want to define hope. How we want to define hope is this. That hope is the forward-facing conviction that our God is able to do anything. See, hope 
if you root it in people, you root it in circumstances, you'll lose hope. But hope is rooted in God. And I want you to see that. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me, Romans chapter 15. This is a great verse. This is one that you should have underlined, or if you're in, in your phone, you should have it highlighted. Better yet, this is a great verse to, uh, to memorize. Um, so, uh, uh, kind of a side note, you ever want to do a really fun study? Do a f- study in the New Testament of these two words put together in a phrase, God of. What you'll find is he's the God of all grace, He's the God of all comfort. He is the God of peace. Romans 15, 13, he's the God of hope. Let's read it together. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now notice that it is in the God of hope where we find, where we find joy, where we find peace. is rooted in who he is, the God of hope so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we live the Christian life and the Holy Spirit lives within us to become more like Christ, we we will be filled with hope. You remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, there remain three things, faith, hope, and love. This is a huge thing. This is who God is. He is the God of hope. And so when we talk about hope, we're not just talking about hope in a relationship or hope in maybe a better day tomorrow, you know, by the circumstances of life or a hope against hope. What we're hoping in is in the, in the God who is able to do anything. He is the God of the impossible. He is the God who answers our prayers. He's the God who redeems. He's the God who changes us. He's the God who is making us more like Jesus. And our hope is rooted in him and one of the things you got to know about hope why this is so important is that hope is essential for life proverbs puts it like this hope deferred makes the heart sick folk we've seen this we've seen this in our country right now our country is desperate for hope and in the hopelessness of depression suicide, mental health issues, alcoholism are going through the roof because they've lost hope. But desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And so it is so important. And and you think about it, almost every relationship starts with hope. So you meet that person. Your heart skips, right? You begin to spend some time with them. You, you start seeing a future. There's hope. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That first time you hold that little baby, right, and all the hope, all of the potential, all of the, the thoughts, the dreams that are there, man, it's all built on hope. Maybe you've started a new job, new boss, new opportunity, hope. Sadly, life happens. Sometimes we lose hope. What begins to happen is when you lose hope is you lose relationship. And so hope is crucial. It's something that we've got to lean into. One of the things that hope does is it gives you the motivation to persevere and to not quit. Because the 
truth of the matter is, life's hard, is it not? Absolutely, I think we can all agree with that one. Uh, certainly, life's hard, but what makes it even more difficult is the people in our lives, right? Uh, just all those relationships, the messiness, the, the complicated stuff, and relationships, I think, are what, at least for me, discourage me the most. It is the, the thing that we often buy into the lie that this is never going to change. This person's never going to change. Uh, particularly because I think working on relationships typically means that we need to do some of the hard stuff. We have to confront. We have to have difficult conversations. And many times we avoid those with everything we have so things don't change, right? Uh, but we have to do the hard things, and to motivate us to do that, we have to have hope. And the people that can give us that hope are the people in our lives, or the people that can discourage us are those people in our lives. So discouragement leads way to destruction, and all of that spiral can just go down so fast. So one of the key things I think we've got to really assess in our lives is, who are the people that we hang around most? Those five people that you spend the most time with is who you are becoming or you are. Uh, so if you are hanging around people that are not speaking life into you, that are they're not giving you hope, that are not saying you can repair this relationship, here's some, some truth of Scripture. If you confront and you do things God's way, you can deal and heal in this relationship. Uh, those are the kind of people that we need to be around and that we need to be because those people are what uh, are exposing us, that are speaking life or death into us and not allowing us to either move forward or uh, stay stuck. I had an opportunity when I was in college I, uh, at my work. There was a young lady that I became uh, friends with. She was married and had kids and uh, a little older than I was. Uh, but she came in and she was just struggling in her marriage. She was bound really pretty much for divorce, planning on it. Everybody in the workplace, every single other person was telling her, get divorced, it's done, don't go there. Uh, I was the only one that said, no, you can do this. There's hope. You can, you can go get counseling. You can do these things. I watched her kids for her. They get counseling. I did what I could to just keep her going, and the marriage was saved. They kept on going. They got into church. Things can turn around because of the people that were around. So watch the exposure to those negative people, those people that are speaking no hope into your life. And that's the thing, when there's hope, you're willing to go through the hard stuff. Remember, you had that surgery, she, she yeah. tore a rotator cuff. And she was just miserable, because uh, she didn't know what she had done, because she'd actually done, she's tough. She had done it years before and didn't really realize it, and then aggravated it, and now she can't sleep and whatever. But when the doctor said, I, I, can, I can make it all better, right? But it's surgery, it's rehab. But that's what caused her. And that's what, when you have hope that, hey, this thing can be better. There's a better day out there. It gives you that motivation to, to go on. Here's the other thing. Hope also keeps you from making bad decisions. Because when you get desperate, stupid shows up pretty quick after that. When you think you have no other opportunity, you start making bad decisions. And I've seen this uh, more times than I care to remember. You, you know, here, here's a spouse who is praying for their, for their spouse, that they want a good, healthy marriage, and they've been praying, and they've been saying, sometimes for years. But they lose hope, right? 
week after week, month after month, nothing changes. And now it blows up again. And they are just done. Best way I can explain it, the light switch has been turned off. And yet in that very moment, the thing that they have been praying for all these years is God is working in their spouse's heart. There's something that's beginning to kick there. There's something that's beginning, that light bulb's beginning to come on. And yet they're just done. They're finished. It's over. Right in the moment when, when what they've been praying for and believing God for is ready, they're making bad decisions and they're throwing it away. Or someone is, is single and they just get to that, it's always going to be this way, right? The, that somehow it's just it's over so I, I need I need to open things up and so I'm going to lower my standards and here's somebody and yeah they're not a believer but they treat me really well they make bad decisions and I tell you I just sit there and I cringe and I wish I could take them into my office the multiple times that I've had women especially in there just weeping and say you know I love my husband with all my heart but I married him and I knew he wasn't a believer and I and it's just so hard because we don't have the same values we don't look at life the same way and we will never have that intimacy of soul and I know it and it's crushing their heart and when you lose hope, you will make bad decisions. So how do you avoid losing hope? There are some hope killers that are out there. One of the first ones is comparison. Yes, I think that Hebrews tells us that's one of the worst of all evils, right? We know, all know that comparison is destructive, but it's really easy just to fall into. Like, just social media alone, I mean... When you start to look at these perfect squares that have been filtered through who knows what all, but they, they make your friend's life look so much better than your own. They make all these fun times, you know, we snap at just the right time to make our, our baby look like just the, the most perfect baby, though they don't, they don't cry, they don't have all these issues, they're not up all night. We, 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 we don't get into the messy because it just looks so right. Uh, and yet we all then look inward and see our own messes, our own struggles, our own difficulties, and we compare. It's just so easy to, have, to do. And we always think it looks greener on the other side of the fence. Um, but the truth is, is that it's only greener where we water, where we cultivate. So if we work more on our patch of grass uh, and our relationships, our things, cultivate that, that is where we need to keep our focus. That will increase in, in our hope for those around us, for our own life, and what's going on. I think another big killer today is this idea of unbalanced schedules. Do you think? Uh, I think Americans, we, we push it to the limit, don't we? Like, we just operate this level of tip-top performance. Like, you know, our kids have to be in everything. They're, they're at stress level, tip-top. We have no margin for, for even time, many times, to have meals together. We're running and going everywhere. As couples, we're just dividing and conquering. We, we operate at this high level of financial stress. We operate at this emotional level that you know, any little thing that goes wrong, we snap because there's just no room. There's no margin. And so this takes a lot of discipline. I know for my own self, you know, to be able to say no to things, to be able to carve out blank space in your day, in your week, in your calendar, 
uh, it's just critical so that we have that wiggle room so that we can give each other grace, give ourselves grace, be healthy. Uh, we need to balance our schedules. A third thing that kills hope is what I would call unnecessary guilt. Now, let's talk about guilt for a moment because I think at points it gets a bad rap. By the way, do you know that uh, guilt and shame are actually emotions that God gave us? And they had a reason. God gave it to us because when we sin, when we, when we did not walk according to him, that was to be the emotion, that was to be that check in our spirit that something's wrong. And then biblically and theologically, we've been given a path back, right? First called repentance, right? We align our thinking with God. We realize we've been thinking wrongly. We repented that. We align our thinking with God. We confess it to him, know his forgiveness. We go to people in our life and and we're, we're able to confess it to them, right? Make it right. And then we take it and we allow the Holy Spirit to use it as that learning experience so that we become more like Jesus. That's, that's how it's supposed to work. Unfortunately, what the enemy often does, though, in believers' lives is that that guilt from the past is just, even though we, we've dealt with it, we've repented, we've confessed it, we've made it right, it's just there, and we begin to see our identity in that. So can I drop a couple of tooth bombs on you today? Number one, none of us are perfect. All of us have that stuff in our past. But the second thing is, if you know Jesus and you've dealt with it in, a, in the correct way, that is not your identity. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is that he is making you more and more like Jesus. And so you've got to let that go because if you allow that to become your identity, you lose hope because it's like it is never going to change. It's, I'm, I'm always going to go back to that. And the Holy Spirit is in you to change you, to make you more like Jesus. And so we can't deal with, with that. The fourth thing is just, and she's already mentioned it, but it's just critical, unhealthy people in your life. Uh, people who uh, rob you of, of hope. Uh, we're kind of in this situation with uh, our son-in-law is in one of those jobs right now where he just, he just can never do it right, right? He can never do enough. And it's soul-crushing. And, you know, he kind of comes to, well... So how do you move on, right? He's the boss. So you either got to move on to another job or you got to learn to deal with it. So as much as it depends upon you, you want to have people in your life that are speaking hope, they're speaking truth, they're speaking life to you instead of those who are, are, are just... And we don't want to be those critical people. So you want to avoid the hope killers because hope is essential for life. But it's also essential for healing. Here's another truth. All of us have been wounded at some point, right? It's part of life. We live in a fallen world. What hope does is hope gives you the willingness to try again. Yeah, a lot of times, especially after we've been wounded, it takes courage to do that. You know, we want to guard our hearts. We want to put up this barrier to even get into relationships again because we're hurt. Um, and yet... Because God can heal, we have to put some of that behind us. And I love the verse in uh, Philippians 3.14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Uh, there is part of this that we have to trust God 
with the future by putting the other things behind us. And not that we as humans, you know, it's very difficult for us to forget. Uh, I know that it's easier to just keep bringing up the past with, with relationships. Sometimes it's, especially in a heated battle with our spouse, it's easy up to just bring that hurtful stuff back up. But God's word tells us that, you know, when it's been forgiven, Jesus' blood washed it away. It's as far as the east is from the west, as far as he's concerned. We've got to really work to not bring those things back up in our own minds, in, into our relationships, to just put the past behind us so that hope allows us to try again and to move forward. Uh, as we said, it's forward thinking. Uh, hope is, is not backward thinking. So we've got to stop looking in the rearview mirror, keep bringing things back up, even in our own lives. I think sometimes it's hard to forgive ourselves um, as Steve said, bringing these things back up. Um, but to start again, we have to put the past in the past. Yeah, so, so biblical hope is not getting so stuck in the what is or maybe the what has been, but what by the grace and the power of God could be. That's, that's the hope, and that's what gives us the willingness to try again that God can be at work, that God can change me, that God can change others. And it also, hope allows now for time, because we're microwave, right? That's, we want it now, now, now. Now, of course, when it comes to our change, we want people to be patient, but we want others to change now. Well, hope allows for that time that God is at work and, and that God is, is doing things in, in this process so that we can give it time to move on. Yeah, Galatians 6, 9, such a great scripture. But it reminds us, let us not lose heart in doing good. Uh, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So it's just really important that we don't get tired of a situation, uh, that we don't just focus on those circumstances. This is where building our faith is so important, where time with God, uh, focusing on him, where worship gets us off of our circumstances, get it, gets our eyes up on the Lord so that as we're waiting and as we're believing that he's going to do this work, that we can focus elsewhere, not just on these things that we're getting impatient about. So don't lose heart. Don't get tired. God doesn't give up on anyone. He still hasn't given up on your prodigals. Maybe you're praying for him. Don't give up. Uh, give God time, just like we want time for ourselves. One of the things that I think as a country, hopefully we learned, is that hope flourishes in community. It dies in isolation. You go back to 2020, what happened? We all got isolated. And people got depressed. Uh, again, the number of suicides went through the roof. Alcoholism, drug use, uh, all of those things. We need people in our lives. And even, even as couples, we need people in our lives. And, you know, one of the things I love that we do here at Desert Springs, we, we don't have a trained counselor. We can do crisis counseling. We can recommend counselors and help you get there. Well, one of the things that I love that we offer is called marriage mentoring, which is an older, more seasoned, trained couple is further down the road. Again, they don't have a perfect marriage either. But they're, they're ones who are, have, are further down the road, they've worked on it, that will come alongside, not just to sit down and, and teach you, but to walk with you, 
to process life with you, to help you to see and to model and to kind of walk through those ups and downs. We need that. Uh, Connect groups, Bible study groups. We need people in our life because that's where hope flourishes. Yeah, I, I think it's important to think through just the relationships we have and open our minds to different relationships. Uh, sometimes I think we kind of get just stuck in our own friend group or our own just peer-to-peer uh, -peer kind of uh, places. And I love what uh, Paul is telling Timothy in Titus 2, how he challenges him and says, tell the older men and, and the older women that they need to uh, invest, they need to model, they need to train up, they need to teach them um, the doctrine of the word, and they, they need to let them know, model what it's like to be a godly woman, a godly man, uh, how to lead your home spiritually. This is where we're to learn these things, and we need to uh, look for these relationships, the, like the marriage mentoring, the mentors in our lives, looking up. Paul was who Timothy looked up to, but then Timothy was pouring into these people in his church. We all need that kind of relationship, looking up, looking down, uh, pouring down. This is when we are, I believe, operating as the body of Christ and in the, the deepest and richest community. We get to learn in ways that we just can't learn on our own because we're reaching into this generation maybe above us that was raised different, that sees different, that's been in God's word all this time that we can glean from. These are just such incredible opportunities that we have in the body of Christ, and I believe the way God wants us to be living and in discipleship. This is what we've so grateful for the way our kids were poured into as they were raised here. And just the connectedness of adults in, in kids' lives is huge. Uh, but don't ever underestimate the power of connectedness in um, our friendships and in these inter, um, interrelated uh, opportunities. So hope is essential for life. Hope is essential for healing. It's also essential for family. The problem is you may be sitting there going, but I just don't have any hope left, right? You're just dealing with despair. So I want to talk about two things here. First of all, how do you take and reshape despair into hope? Uh, the first thing is, is you got to let go of the destructive, unrealistic expectations. So we live in the, in the Facebook, Instagram, we've talked about this. The, television, you watch The Bachelor, Bachelorette. Do you understand that they, you know, it's just, I mean... I've got an ab, right? You know, and so if you, if you start put those, those pieces on, you're, you're setting that person up to fail. And then, I mean, you think in our society, it's not just that, but it, think of porn. Think of the, the romance novels. It's such a big industry where, you know, that other person knows exactly what you want, is open to, to, and knows exactly the right thing to say, knows exactly what you're thinking, just, it's not real. <laughs> it's not real. That's not how life works. And you start putting those expectations on your spouse, and you are setting them up to fail. We've got to let go and to understand that there are no perfect people. Secondly, we have to embrace difficulty as a chance to grow. Every once in a while, I'll, get a, I'll meet with a couple who's having a little problem, 
and they just think it's the end of the world, right? Because nobody married has problems. Let me drop another truth bomb. If you're married, there are going to be issues. You're going to have these moments. Now, I know that this looks like, this is like Garden of Eden relationship here, right? And the truth is, we really do have a good marriage. But we have those moments of intense fellowship. <laughs> it, 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 it just happens. But that's, that's not bad. Because, because none of us are perfect, it's kind of this grind that often God uses to mature us, to knock off the rough edges. Uh, marriage is a great, I don't even think this is a word, but you'll know what I mean. It's a mature, right? Marriage, it, it, it's one of those things that God is going to use in your life to make you a better person because of this. And so as a, as a couple, as parents with your kids, if you can embrace the difficulty as a chance to grow, well, how do you take it as a chance to grow? Well, number one, you lean into Jesus. That's number one. What is he trying to teach you? How are you to be acting and reacting? But secondly, you use it as a time to lean into your spouse. Not for to separate, but hey, we are in this forever. We have got to figure this out. We've got to have the hard conversations. We have got to, to be open with our feelings and our emotions so that we can learn how to grow. Many of you know I grew up in the Midwest. There we had real trees. Not these uh, Palo Verde mesquites that a 20 mile an hour wind comes and half of them blow down, right? I mean, these are oaks, these are maples, these are big trees, and these aren't 20, these are big major storms, tornadoes. And I find it fascinating, especially not living out here when all these trees go down, that those storms would come and very seldom did you see an oak or a maple over on its side. And what you learn is that actually the storm moves the tree just enough to loosen the ground so that the roots could go deeper, stronger hold. And in your marriage, when you will embrace difficulty as a chance to lean into Jesus and lean into your spouse and learn and grow, It'll make your marriage better. Uh, number three, I've mentioned this, uh, uh, I'll mention it again, but it's, you know, your, your faith, your hope, and love got to be in Jesus. People are going to let you down. I'm going to let her down. I don't want to, but I'm not perfect. She's going to let me down. She doesn't want to. She's not perfect. Almost, but not quite. <laughs> the fourth thing I know you wanted to talk about in this reshaping despair into hope is with kids of practicing motivational parenting. Yeah, there's obviously we all have to do directional parenting and motivational parenting. But I think that the directional parenting typically is what we all kind of just fall into because we see you need to do this, you need to not do that. We just start giving instruction. We just kind of go through the day. It's the automatics because it's what our kids need that guidance. And especially when they're little, they need that more. Uh, but what motivational parenting does is it reaches more down into the heart. The directional reaches into the head. Give them all this knowledge. You know, all those things are important. But if 
we only do that, a lot of times they don't catch things that are the why. What is the reason that we do these things? What's at the heart of it? And the number one fear in American homes today, at least what, what I've heard and, and studies tell us, is that parents and grandparents fear that their kids will not follow after their morals, values, and faith. And if that's something that we're going to have happen, they've got to catch that. And that's where motivation comes in. And so just some real quick practical, maybe more motivational sides of things are um, to try to balance the directives and the correction and, and discipline with the affection and the love and the pouring into the, the relationship and the emotional side of your child. You know, a lot of times it's that loving, hard stuff, that balance, that it's what I think God tries to portray to us in Scripture, that we need to be able to just balance that out, put more of a deposit in when you've had to have a tough week of maybe more uh, direction and more discipline and more correction. Take the time to do that. Maybe recognize that this is a chance to just move, uh, take that one, per one kid out for, uh, on purpose. Uh, the other thing that I think is important is that we don't delay joyful living until they're 18 and out of the house. Uh, sometimes we just, I think, kind of buckle up and go, okay, this is a season. We're going to get through it. Uh, but joyfulness is what hope brings, and it's joy that's contagious. It's joy that gives them a reason to say, I want that kind of life. I want to live out your values, your faith, because if that's what it produces, I want that. Laughter should be the best noise in your house. It should happen a lot. That's what brings that joy and what makes a child say, this is something I want. Model that we have joy in the Lord and not just uh, be parents that are so fear-based that we're just worrying about our kids and every little thing and we're hovering and we're so focused on them that we can't even have joy. Uh, there's enough fear to go around, but when we can get our eyes on God, trust him to help our kids be safe, to help us make wise decisions, we can have a lot more joy in our life. Uh, the other thing is don't let your teenagers intimidate you. Uh, you know, I know our country and our, our culture just worships. Yeah, you're still the adult in the room, uh, but they worship youth. You know, it, it's like, oh, Hollywood just portrays that now that you're a teenager and you're beautiful and you're handsome and you got all this, that you are the star. But parents, don't be intimidated. You know, God tells us that these gray hairs and this experience and this knowledge and all of that is really important, and it makes you the smart person in the room, and so don't be intimidated. God can give you what you need to relate to your kids, to relate to your teenagers. Sometimes you may not know what to say. God will give it to you, but be intentional and don't, don't be fearful of them. Uh, and then stay future-focused. I think that we've got to always be implanting in our kids that God made them on purpose for a very good purpose. Uh, in his kingdom work, he, before they were even formed, he had a plan. He put incredible talents and gifts and abilities, intrinsic things into each one of your kids and into every one of his children uh, on purpose for what he wants us to do to accomplish in his kingdom work. I, I don't know anything that can build up a self-esteem than to say, this is how important you are. This is, I know, if God's got a plan for you. It's going to be so exciting to figure out what that is. I'm on board to help you figure that out. I'm here to help see some of your strengths and weaknesses. Let's develop and nurture those. It's going to be so cool to see what God has planned for you. Uh, 
And then the other thing I think is just that don't underestimate kids and teenagers even where they are right now. Uh, that robs them of hope for their purpose now. You know, I love that all along, you know, our kids are getting trained up. You know, they're, they're learning how to be worship leaders. So many of these people on this stage were, grew up in this church. You know, they're now leading us in worship, but they learned and they, they realized that as they were young, they were starting to develop and they were already being used at that level. And then expose your, your kids to significant events and experiences and people. Uh, this, I think, is so powerful. You know, we tend to think that the classroom is the only place for our kids to learn. And education's important, uh, don't get me wrong. But to expose your kids to other significant events, uh, especially that is, are, are going to help them just understand how their life can look. Maybe it's a certain interest that they have that you just go, you know, I'm going to expose them to this because uh, I see that strength in them. Gives them a vision for who, what they could become. Uh, the other thing that I think is that just some events, we had the opportunity, Steve spoke at Clyderhurst Christian Ranch a number of times at their family camps when we were growing up. We got to bring all the kids with us. And that, that experience formed and shaped all of our kids. For one, they got to see that they're not the only family that walks with God. They're, they're not the only ones with the same values and faith and, and so on. They got to play with all these other kids. They got to be exposed to young adults that were teaching them the Bible every day and, and in such a fun way and that were on fire for Jesus. Uh, and so much so that our middle son, I mean, that's where he's serving right now. He, it made such an indelible impression on him that he went there every summer and served uh, when he was in college. Now he's, he's serving there as an adult. Uh, so don't uh, deny that. Don't make that something that's just uh, an add-on. Be significant about that. So it's essential for families, so maybe you need to reshape despair into hope. But then the second thing is you need to focus on healthy things. And I have like two minutes, so I'm going to fly through this, but hopefully maybe you'll get some, uh, some helpful things. First of all, focus on serving your spouse, not on compatibility. Folks, this idea of compatibility is a bit of a crock. Opposites attract. It, they do. And, and it's so cute until you live with it, then it's very irritable. <laughs> and... So if you get, well, we're not compatible. Well, most people aren't. That's, but you come to the word of God. We looked at it the last couple of weeks in Ephesians chapter five. It's then you just love her the way Christ loved you. And, and as a wife, you serve him as his helpmate, as God made you. And if you focus on that, you, you'll find that compatibility. Uh, read, read that quote, because I thought so that was really Ray good. Ray Johnston said it this way. Uh, he said, the issue is not incompatibility. The issue is selfishness, stubbornness, unwillingness to compromise, unwillingness to change, unwillingness to work to save the relationship. It's self-centeredness. Yeah. Second thing, focus on solving the problem, not on blame. So I will tell you, but every crisis marriage counseling session starts the same way. Sit down, and the person will start and go, I know I'm not perfect, but. And then here it comes. And then you turn to the other. Well, I know I'm not perfect, but. Boom. You, you, get, you focus on the blame, you're never going to get to solving the problem. So let go with that. Focus on the problem. Uh, focus on becoming the spouse God made you to be. So here's another truth bomb. 
you can't change your spouse. Oh, you can change them maybe for a moment, but it'll be very short-lived. The only one who can change them is God. That's not your job. Your job is you become the person God wants you to be, the spouse God wants you to be. That's how this works. Uh, focus on gratitude, not grumbling. Uh, we talked a little bit about that last week. And then uh, focus on Jesus, right? That, that's kind of the biggest thing. It, it's, a, it's a huge piece here. Jesus is the answer. And so if you're here today and maybe you're really struggling with hope, can I just tell you that there is hope in our relationship with our God? Jesus came and died for you, paid the penalty so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have the hope of an incredible future, the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life, but it starts with knowing him. And if you don't know him, I'm going to be down here after we're done. I'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you're a Christian, but you're just struggling with this hope. Right over here under the sign that says prayer, we're going to have people there that will come and pray with you. Right? They'll pray that God will restore that hope. But the biggest thing is, is that hope is crucial. Our God is a God of hope. And if we are going to be his ambassadors, his image bearers, if we're going to be coming more like Jesus, we have to be people of hope. And we've got to nurture hope in our life. Let's pray.